It's Sunday morning in the normally tranquil Latin Valley of Alta Badia in Italy's far north. A gunshot sends 8,000 cyclists climbing out of the darkness just before dawn breaks over the surrounding limestone peaks of the Dolomites. Throughout the huge peloton, the atmosphere is electric. At the front, the pace is almost frightening. A helicopter bosses above, transmitting six hours of live coverage to Italian national television. The extended peloton of amateur cyclists embarks on a relentless sensory of adventure, subjecting themselves into an unbroken assault on the senses dictated by the individual speed and physical proveness. Along the winding roads, a symphony of local folk music bands emerges. The melodies intertwining with the rhythmic cadence of the riders. This is the Maratona delle Dolomites, the queen of all Grand Fondos. It's grueling, beautiful, fun, overwhelming and unforgettable. It's breathtaking. And for an amateur rider, there's simply nothing else like it. In fact, the scale of it is probably enough to shock even pro cyclists. Hello everyone and welcome to the Castelli podcast. We have an extraordinary episode lined up for you today. We have the honor of delving into the world of one of the most exciting, mind-blowing and captivating cycling events on earth, the Maratona delle Dolomites. And to make this episode special, we're joined by some guests who have left an incredible mark on this event and the world of cycling. I had the honor meeting with a fantastic person and a guy who has won almost everything in his road cycling career, from World Cup titles, monuments, stages in all Grand Tours, an Olympic gold medal and two Road World Championships. I'm talking about a true legend, Paolo Bettini. Our second guest is a well-known figure in the cycling community, especially among those who have visited Alta Badia. Igor Tavella, the son of one of the founders of the Maratona delle Dolomites. And that's not all, folks. We also have the privilege of hearing first-hand race experience inside from Richard Hestus of Paz Cycling. Richard took on the Maratona course for the first time and will be sharing his thrilling adventure with us. It's going to be a long but epic episode, so make sure you stick around until the end because we'll also give you the chance to win one of two slots for the 2024 Maratona de la Dolomites edition. So stay tuned for more details on how you can enter for a chance to win. I'm your host, Søren Jensen, Castelli Marketing Manager, and together we will embark on a thrilling journey through the heart and soul of this legendary Grand Fondo, conceived 36 years ago by a small group of dedicated and passionate Italian cyclists. But before we dive into the twists and turns of this remarkable event with our special guests, let me first give you the full rundown of the race course and the iconic mountain passes. There are three courses, none of them exactly easy. The shortest looks easy enough at first glance, just 55 kilometers long, but it still manages to pack in 1,780 meters of climbing with its familiar pinwheel around the Grupo Sella, also nicknamed the Sella Ronda Loop. Including four iconic climbs, the first one, Paso di Campolongo, with its 5.8 kilometers at 6.1 average gradient. Then we have Paso di Podoi, 9.2 kilometers long, with an average gradient on 6.9%. Third up, Paso di Sella, 5.5 kilometers at almost 8% average gradient. Last but not least, the Paso di Cadena at its 5.8 kilometers at 4.3%. Coming to the median route, spanning 106 kilometers with its 3,130 meters of elevation and include a second time over the Campolongo before taking on the breathtaking Falsarigo and Valparola climb. And then we have the Maratona proper. At 138 kilometers of extraordinary riding that climbed just short of 4,230 meters with seven iconic mountain passes, including everything we just mentioned from the Celeronda and the medium course, 
plus the centerpiece of the Maratona, the mighty Paso Jao. It is the penultimate climb of the day and generally the one that riders fear the most. The Paso Jao is no less famous or infamous, depending on how much you like long 10% climbs. It set the Giro d'Italia alight on many occasions and been tackled nine times, most recently in May this year, when Garen Thomas and Primus Rocklitz were battling for the Maglia Rosa. The average gradient is around 9.4%, kicking now and then up to 15%, and it rises more than 920 meters in a little under 10 kilometers. For the serious climber, it's a chance to have some fun. The gradient is steady and the tarmac surface is good, but arrive at it with the wrong gears or overcooked and it's like taking a shot to the chest. At the top, you'll be at 2,236 meters above sea level, surrounded only by spots of snow, rock and little hills. You'll also be staring at an incredibly fun and fast descent into Pocol, where you'll turn left and start the 11.5 kilometers long and last climb to the top of Falzarigo and the Paso Valparola. Well, last is a little underrated. After descending the Valparola and only 4 kilometers from the finish line, the riders are met with a small but grueling ramp about a kilometer long with gradients in the 19% range, the Mudeljat in Latin or the cat wall in English. Let's talk some history now. The Latin valleys, the looming majesty of the Mamolada, and the faces of the Gruppo del Sella are as woven into the history of cycling as those winding, breathtaking roads in the mountains. It's not an overstatement to say that without roads like these, there would be no grand tours, or at least not the kind worth watching. The Pyrenees, the Alps, and the Dolomites are the backdrops for some of cycling's most memorable moments and the theatres in which the sport's greatest protagonists have given their most enthralling performances. The Dolomites have given birth to the stars of the Giro d'Italia, where its legends are written. For fans of Coppi, Bartali, Merx or Pantani, the Maratona will be less a race than it's a pilgrimage. These mountains are full of such stories. The Passo di Bordoi has hosted the Giro d'Italia 40 times since 1940, including four as stage finish and 13 as Cimacopi, and seen generations of stars shine on its slopes from Bartali, Coppi, Hugo Coble to Laurent Fignon, Claudia Capucci and Michel Indorain. And as you immerse yourself over the mountain passes in the captivating Marathona course and in the tracks of the two Italian cycling legends Fausto Coppi and Gino Bartali, a rewarding treat awaits at the finish line. A well-earned beer and a plate of homemade pasta. And now let's meet some of our guests. First up we have Igor Tavella, whose father was one of the founders of the Maratona de Lomites back in 1987. I met Igor on Saturday night, less than seven hours before the start of the 36th edition of the Maratona de la Dolomites. Hey Igor, so great to see you and thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. I know you're about to hit the bed. I know it's some busy days here for all of you, but I appreciate that you take the time to sit down here with me and talk about how everything started with the Maratona de la Dolomites. Well, uh, the history of the Maratona is really simple because by that started the local cycling club. That was 1978. So in order to celebrate the 10th anniversary of the local cycling club, they wanted to uh, organize an event. They had already some experiences in races, and lock, but mostly local races in the Dolomites, short races. It was very common to organize just short time trials up the Dolomites passes. They wanted to do something bigger, something like the... The long distance uh, cross country skiing races, like an example was the famous Vazanopet in Sweden, and that's how the marathon started. That was eight, 1987, the first edition. Was there only one course back then, or three courses as we know of today? And what about the distance? There was only one course. If you think about on that days, the people that had just 1987 bikes with a 42 in front, maybe. Uh, 
25 in the bed, and they did uh, under 87 kilometers and about more than 5,000 meters of elevation. So even longer distance and more elevation that we know of today. Yes. Harder and more demanding gearing than those compacts that we're all riding around with today that actually makes our life a lot easier when we go out there and ride those mountains. Yes, yes. They were real cyclists. <laughs> yeah, that's one way to put it. <laughs> if you compare no, with uh, nowadays what the bikes do you get and uh, all carbon fiber and all the... And all the gears and the things come on. Oh, on that day, they really kicked in those pedals. Wow, yeah. Do, do you know the total number of participants? 166. So that was basically the total number of Alta Badia Cycling Club members, right? No, no, that was really okay. It was also interesting how they promoted the event. No? Because in Italy, I think there was no Vecoli already, but in uh, northern Italy... My dad, with the local people of the cycle club, they just went from race to race and picking up so for the sliders on every car to promote uh, the event, no? And that 166 was a good number for first edition, but of course to get the break even, it was too low because they, it was really the first event. They didn't have any idea what was needed, feed zones and everything. They maybe exaggerated some stuff, no? That they had, of course, it took a while to get to the break even, no? But I know it was also after the first edition, it was a lot of discussion. Shall we do a second edition or not? Because there was already no money. And then when did they find out that it made sense to do a second edition in 1988 and be able to support the event with money from sponsors? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, because they had already finished all budget, they had no budget also because the local cycling club was born to raise the kids and raise it with the kids. And there were no money, all went in the marathon, you know? so they had to find something, idea, okay, between them, the people that were inscribed to the cycling club and everything, they ended the year, it's zero in the balance, no, in order to decide to do the marathon again or not. And there was this meeting to decide, uh, okay, shall we continue or not? And there were five people, you no, know, two against, two were agreed, and then it was the president that said, okay, we try another year. So year after year, third year, it was finally, uh, okay, it came to a point that, okay, we shall continue because now the marathon is getting bigger. It became a more important event also outside of the Alta Padilla Valley and with a break-even. Yes, at the end, you can't tell break-even because most of the money was just invested in the, the years to come. No, I started as an 11-years-old boy I really was there from the first edition, helping to pick you, prepare the starting numbers and so on and everything. Uh, the monitor getting was already spent for the next year, maybe buying a computer as a sub. I can, I can remember on the second edition, we got that uh, M45 kilobytes, no? Computer, computer, no? Yeah. I was uh, excited as hell, no? Then I knew it was just borrowed from the nearby bank. I grew up seeing all the evolution of the Maratona. Rob, seeing all the, yeah, the editions of the Maratona. And still today, after 36 editions, you're still the guy who runs, coordinates everything behind the scenes when it comes to the number picking and, you know, where people need to go and get the race number and all the other stuff. I don't run it directly, but let's say I know so much of everything I'm just there. No, I end up to finish in every places where there is some need to help out. I think it's a total number of 1,500 volunteers, more or less. Yes, right. Yes, 1,500 volunteers. And uh, of course, with, without them, there would be no Maradona. No, it's the, the volunteers that make it possible, everything. Everything possible, coordinating everything. And it is a blast of event, as we all know, with the local folk music bands playing along the, the route, the feed zones where you have homemade strudel or linsotorte or something else, some sweets from even from, from the area, you know. It's also local dishes you'll find on the route. Yes, that's really... Uh, I also ask myself, how do we do that every year? Because it all comes together. It's, it's like a big puzzle. Sometimes it me just think the puzzle is growing, and at the end you really find all the pieces. Sometimes it's getting hard to find all, some pieces, not, but at the end you find it and it it, it, it sticks in the right place. And then also the end, it starts from the something bigger to the real uh, tiny thing, like okay, 
what tempers you use for an apple strudel. Uh, that made social difference. It's, it's one big, big show, and I know that, I don't know, do we have actually any full-time people working here all year round? Yes, now at the, mar the Maratona, I am not a full-time working people. I'm just there for the Maratona. But the Maratona has now four employees that work all year long just to organize it full-time, just to organize the event. Also because you have, I think in the past, maybe the number was a bit higher, but uh, attending the press conference this afternoon, I saw that for tomorrow we will have 8,000 participants, when the past I think was around nine, but it's probably a number that you decided to reduce or... It's, yes, exactly. One good thing we learned from COVID is that it's amazing to work with less people because we got the COVID year where there were just 6,000 participants at the start because all foreign people couldn't travel to Europe. So we had 6,000 people and that edition runs so smoothly also, uh, us as workers, volunteers, no one were stressed. No, really, it was from A to Z, everything perfect, no? Then we had that meeting after Maratona. What was the difference, no? It's really the number of people. So now we decided from that point, okay, we come down from 9,500 slowly to 7,000 maybe. We see what's the point where we can handle it, uh, it easily or without stress, no? Of course, now we can't go from 9,000 to 6,000 uh, after one year because there are really many people that have all guaranteed entries and everything, so we start to take off 500 each year. So we see where we get. Well, I get, yeah, because it's pretty impressive because you have people from all over the world. I think this year we have 73 nations participating then you had 27,000 people who submitted their entry, hoping to get the chance to be lucky in the lottery to get their name picked. Yes, now you just have to count the numbers. So at the end, uh, 23,000 can, can get in, can or have to wait uh, at least five years. If they participate every year at the lottery, after five years, the sixth year, you, have to, you were so good and stubborn to keep up to <laughs> sign up to the lottery, then you get a place. But of course, uh, how can I tell? That's the, that's the maratona. Now everyone wants to do it, uh, and you have to need to have patience. There is always a possibility to do it because there are the charity entries and everything. No, but of course I understand that people from uh, abroad uh, have maybe ten hour, ten hours flight or so. They wanted to do it that yet, but we, you know, the area, you know, the Dolomites. We are not nearby a big city. It's also the region can handle so many people. The roads are that the roads are, are those ones, no? So we have to keep uh, the balance. And uh, nowadays, it's really important to keep the balance and uh, and be able to spoil those the eight hundred eight thousand that uh, are here. Because this is like eight thousand cyclists coming participating at the event, but most of those eight thousand people to travel here with the family, maybe with a group of friends, that they would go riding bikes with the days before. So what is the total number of people coming to Alta Badia the first week of July? Yeah, well, uh, it's easy. It's uh, Alta Badia has 8,000 accommodation beds and we know that it's fully booked. So that means uh, you can count now uh, people from abroad just maybe travel alone the first time, but we know from statistics they come back with the family because at the end, what is nice here? The cyclists have fun doing the maratona, but the family can enjoy the nature and uh, all the lift facilities and everything the region can offer. So at the end, the maratona is the event, but it's an, a holiday for the world family. Italians already know that. Marathon is 36th edition. Now all the Italians come here to make holiday for a week. And they come with the family and kids. So you see the area, no? The dads are happy to go on the road, no? Cycle, do a two or three hours cycle loop and come back and they are even more happy to see that wife and kids are happy because they didn't have to wait just the three hours that you are on the bike. Because there's so many great activities here also, hiking and get a cable car or the chairlift and go up in the mountains, up in the plateau, seeing those scenic 360 degrees views all over the Dolomites while dad is out riding bikes or maybe even mom. Who knows, because I saw the number that 11% of participants tomorrow are women. Yes, the, the number is raising. It's, uh, it's great. If you think that at uh, the first marathon there was one woman, and uh, okay, we can say she did a long course, it was just one course. <laughs> but there was one woman. 
Yeah, now it's 880 women participating at the Maratona. That's pretty amazing. And as you said, the great news is that number keeps raising. Yes. Then we have the amazing, beautiful landscape with breathtaking views. And actually, the landscape of the Dolomites is so important and so inspiring that it's protected by the UNESCO. And every year, the Maratona has an environment-related theme. This year's theme is Humanité or humanity in English. Well, let's hear more from Paolo Bettini later what humanity means to him. Mikil Costa, the president of the Maratona de Lulunomites, once told me that the goal with the annual theme is to get people to connect with nature, contemplate the place in it, and appreciate its fragile beauty and what that beauty can do for our fragilities. I always remember the first year with Castelli, 2015, where part of the jersey design brief was to include the echo pocket for your trash, like the packaging of your empty gels and energy bars and more. Igor, can you tell us more about that? One problem that we always have had, oh, now it's really getting lower, the bad habit to throw away paper. So introduced one year, I think, it, I can't remember now the year, but he introduced the echo pocket. But it's just to give a sign, hey, look, you have that echo pocket, no? Try, try to use it. You have it. Why not? Instead of throwing away the papers on the road. No. This is something that you guys, you introduced way before also the trash zone. We see in professional cycling today, they cannot just throw the bottles, you know, whenever they want. They can do it after the, the feed zone. And you guys, you also have those areas where you've had them since a very long time. And if you break the rule, you also have the risk of being disqualified and not being able to enter the event for the next how many years? Well, it's three years or a lifetime. I can't remember anymore. But I am the one that introduced this. I am the one that uh, always gets numbers because we have controls on the road. You know? So people say, hey, if someone threw away, okay, you are disqualified. You can't come anymore. But as we told before, there are 27,000 people that wanted to come. So <laughs> it's a hard lesson, but you know it before. I mean, trash has to stay in your pocket and not on the road. We try to do all the best to preserve the area. It's not just that Maratona goes through Alta Badia, it goes through all the Dolomites. We have also to show the other valleys that we take care of their place. It's not just our place. Actually, how many valleys are we talking about, or Latin valleys, that the race goes through? Four valleys, yes. So, four, four valleys and uh, three regions. That's, a, that's amazing. But it's also a good lesson, I think, for people, because maybe to think about it when they come home, you know, no matter where they're from in the world, they come home, think about, okay, you don't just dump your trash alongside the road. You keep it in your pocket to get to a trash can somewhere, you can get rid of it. And also know that after the race finished, part of all the volunteers also have the last job to do. What is that? Yes, the last job is to, uh, I think there are now three teams, around 40 people, and they do, they warp all the pools just to pick up old trash. And they don't pick up just the trash from cyclists, from the Maratona. They really clean up the, along the road everything, because we know what they find. Maybe they find a paper of a gel, you know, you see if it's from yesterday or if it is three months there. They really clean up everything. It's nice to see that every year they pick up less and less stuff. So we try to do our best. Igor, so since you've always been helping out behind the scenes since you were 11 years old, and I know your sister as well, and a lot of more people of the 1,500 volunteers that are taking part in the biggest sporting events here in, in Alta Badia, did you ever have the chance to ride it yourself? Oh, yes. It, it was on the COVID year. And uh, on that year, there was no maratona. But what do we do? Of course, the maratona, you know, it's always sunny. Today, the Maratona. Right. So, all the organizing committee finally had the time to do the Maratona. So, that was the only year we did the Maratona. But we worked also as Dinea Peaks because my dad, when he came up with the Maratona, every year they changed, at the beginning, they changed the course. No? Every year they changed the course because of problems with the other valleys, permissions. The Maratona grew every year, so they had trouble. There weren't closed roads before, so they had always to manage where do we go, where do we go. So it was always July was the Maratona month. They got all these complaining letters from the other valleys. And in September, we had to write what could be a new course. Hindu and the Dolomites, the last long rides, you can do that in September. So it was always the final ride of the local cycling club. Okay, we tried this course. Of course, it was always something crazy. 
but we did uh, worked as Guinea Peaks for <laughs> what what could be the new course of the Maratona on the other year. I like that story. And the, the course we know of today, I mentioned earlier on the episode, there are three courses, but the courses have been the same since how many years? That's now since 1997. And when did the race like start picking up uh, participants? Because we said beginning was those 166. And then when did the numbers start raising and become something more that it was not only within the Alta Badia Valley, but it was people from outside that was coming in? Uh, I think it was already at 5th edition where the numbers started to double and double. And uh, I can remember on that edition, we were printing numbers with uh, just a normal printer because we we finished all the numbers, the starting numbers, classical ones. So there was uh, still the controls uh, with the uh, with the stamps. Hose. It's a, the controls would be on the top of the mountain passes or where? Yes, also some mountain passes. No, there were for controls so that you can see uh, long course, medium course, or uh, short course. No, and uh, but we. We didn't have any more starting numbers. The starting numbers were printed way before. One special paper, a starting number. And we didn't have, so we just printed these numbers in a A4 normal paper that people had just to put in a plastic envelope. And they did a control like that. But really, we were printing numbers like hell or on a Saturday before the marathon. I can just imagine you with your family, but also all your friends here. And no, But, you know, uh, you don't expect that no and you can say on a saturday evening you have to go home there are people coming uh, from germany and so just want to start and uh, participate but it was also that it was the after that edition where we had to print numbers then it, we started maratona with close numbers okay afterwards you know, because it uh, it was really a, a trouble to, to print numbers on a, a4 paper people sweat so you could imagine how the numbers came back. No, you couldn't read anything. I like that. It's uh, it's incredible to think about it. And also think about how quickly this event has grown and gained popularity all over the world. It's amazing to see. But since you have experienced it all, I'm pretty sure, I also know you as a person, that you have a funny story or maybe two you can tell off from the event. If you can. I, mean, I, 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 don't, I don't know how... How long do we ha- still have? Five minutes, okay. So, long story. So I think it's the first edition. No, you can imagine me, 11 years old. Uh, my dad said, okay, you have to go on the feed zone on the pastoral. 11 years old, no? And I had to go with two elder, elder persons of the locals. First, I asked myself, why do we start before the normal start of the maratona if it's just one and a half hours away? No, in the maratona, there's a bigger loop to get there. Well, uh, I realized after three kilometers because because they stopped from every town to get to that place. So just remember, I, I on that edition, I learned every bar in every town. And I remembered they also drink his little uh, 0.10 glass of wine. And uh, I had my uh, my juice, no? Yeah. So after the third bar, I was happy to stop in the next one because I had to pee. No, all the way down. So I, then we went. We ended up in the, the feed zone, and I wanted to come back with my dad. No, and my dad, uh, he did. Uh, he was putting the signs on the road where to for the riders, where to the direction signs. No, and how did he use the signs? No, he just had the glue. Not normal when you for the uh, the publicity that you use for publicity, but he glued it on the asphalt on the yes on the tarmac, and there was one guy with him sticking the number and he put another glue uh, one, one more layer of the glue uh, on, on the on the sign no and of course it was he my friend that was with my dad just uh, with my dad just laughed at, at me ha, now you do that job no I didn't know what to say I just saw him with black really black hands well I realized because I had to do that part for the second half of the course so I got all the sticky hands from the glue and I still had always to pee because all the juice. So that's the story. That was a good experience. I mean, in a very, very early age. Yeah. (laughs) Igor, before we wrap up the interview here, can you give us a quick crash course in Latin, the Latin language, like three words that as a foreigner, like myself, a Dane coming to Alta Badia, 
I need to know my way, get around, I'm here on bike holidays. The three most important words, or could be a phrase, and then of course you have to tell us in English what it means. Well, first of all, if you come, depends when you come, Bunde, good morning. When you go away, salut, see you. And if you want to thank you, Julian. Julian, yeah. So that's the three words you should get to stick in your mind. So you get everything that you're asking for here in, in Alta Badia. For listeners here who have never been to the Marzona or maybe not even Alta Badia, let's give them a chance to come and explore and experience this amazing event and the valley, the area in next year, in 2024. So we are giving away two slots for the Maratona. And I'll let you run us through the rules to be able to participate. Well, they should... Uh, what should they do? Well, let's see how many listen carefully. And uh, let's ask them how many participants there was at the first Maratona of the Dolomites in 1987. That's a very, very good question. That's a very good question. So if you didn't pay very close attention in this podcast, maybe you have to rewind back just a little bit to find that number. But what you can do is that you can enter your answer and your contact details on castelli-cycling.com slash maratona. And they will have a contact form where you can insert your details. And then within the end of July, we will random draw two lucky winners for next year's uh, Maratona Dolomites edition. And they should then start the train, of course. Yeah. <laughs> this was fantastic. Thanks for taking the time to, you know, I know you've been super busy uh, and you got the big event starting here tomorrow. And it's already late now. Ooh, it's already almost 11. You know, when you are too tired, you even don't sleep. So it <laughs> just doesn't matter. <laughs> I know you have to get up in four hours time and get everything ready. So uh, thanks again for your time, Igor. And uh, see you there at the start tomorrow morning. Okay. So, so have a nice sleep. And see you. And uh, also, salute. Fadichki Ashkutadus. Julian. Our second guest is a true legend of the sport. He has won just about everything in his career. We sat down with Paolo Bettini the night before the Maratona event for a chat about what his perspective on the concept or the theme of the Maratona, humanity, humanity within the world of cycling means to him. He will also give us his insight after his 13 years of experience participating at the Maratona, the evolution of cycling equipment and much more. But to capture... The essence of Paolo's words, we conducted this interview in Italian. But fear not, we have carefully selected a few quotes to share with you in this episode today. However, the full interview, brimming with colors, flavors and raw emotions, will be released next week. So be sure to stay tuned. But first, let's hear from the man himself what the Maratona means to him. La Maratona poi è, è, è l'evento, l'evento degli eventi perché... The Maratona is the event. The event of events, because it takes place in Italy, a country renowned for its breathtaking beauty. Italy offers countless regions with stunning landscapes and diverse geographical features. Le Dolomiti hanno scritto pagine e pagine di storia del ciclismo di grandissime imprese. When you enter the Dolomites, which have witnessed countless historic moments in cycling, it becomes a truly special experience. Pedaling through these legendary mountain passes, where the greatest champions in cycling history have left their mark, evokes a profound sense of pride. I've personally experienced this many times, even during stages of the Giro d'Italia, whether I found myself in a breakaway or struggling at the back of the bunch as I wasn't a natural climber. Completing these challenging stages was an achievement in itself, regardless of the outcome. Immagino cosa vuol dire per i 6.000 e più che sono al via e che partecipano. Now imagine what an impact it has on those 6,000 and more participants who gathered here preparing to take on this epic closed road event. For many of them, just a few months ago, they didn't even know they would have a race number. They come from all walks of life. Workers, employees, plumbers, university professors and business managers dreaming of participating in this event for years. Emozionante, pertanto e si ritorna all'aspetto dell'umanità, no? It reminds us of the deep sense of unity and shared humanity that emerges when we come together for a common mission. Doing a race 
especially for professionals, there is often little time for reflection or observing the surroundings. The nature of competition demands focus. However, there are moments when the peloton allows for a more relaxed atmosphere. In these instances, whether in grueling epic dolomite stages or less intense situations, riders may have the chance to glance around and talk to teammates. These instances reveal that the dynamic within the professional peloton are not so different from the amateur world. The Maratona delle Dolomites is not just a race. It represents a shared passion for cycling and the remarkable human connections we forge along the way. It exemplifies the profound bound that unites us as cyclists, regardless of our backgrounds or levels of expertise. And it brings us back to the aspect of humanity, the human part. A cyclist who sees another cyclist in difficulty stops to help him, whether it's a flat tire, a crash or drop chain. Those people are rarely left on their own. Sempre è successo anche nel mondo professionistico in gara perché oggi eh, trovo un, magari un mio avversario in crisi di fame in mezzo a una valle. This normally happens every day even in these events. It has always happened in professional racing too because today I might find one of my opponents in difficulty on the course. Well, if I'm in the race because I'm fighting for the victory, maybe I take advantage of it because there's something greater to bring home. But if I'm dropped and behind and I see him in difficulty, I try to help him because today it's him, tomorrow it could be me. And this is the story of humanity within the group, even at the competitive level. Allora, io dal 2009 a oggi credo di non averla fatta due anni. From 2009 till today, I think I only missed the Maratona two times. So that makes it 13 times total that I rode the Maratona. Ho trovato un mio ex compagno in questa sul campo lungo pronti via, mi sento chiamare perché mi ha visto da dietro. A few years ago, riding up the Campolongo, I ran into a former teammate from Quickstep. He recognized me from the name on the race number. Both of us were a bit out of shape. I look at him and tell him he looks familiar. He looks and says, you don't recognize me? He moves in front of me and says, read the race number and my name. And that's how I reconnected with an old teammate who I hadn't seen for years. La Maratona, qui proprio per il contesto in cui ci troviamo, per l'armonia, per la condivisione. The Maratona is also one of the few events where you touch on social aspects and it's not necessary a race. The contest we're in, the harmony, the sharing, it's an expo that ends with a big ride. E si ritorna no, all'aspetto umano, a, alla condivisione e, e all'essere, a, a essere legati in qualche modo. Sul campo lungo mi passa uno che stava pedalando, mi saluta e mi stacca. Mi saluta, ma così, ma un amico. Coming back to the human aspect and sharing and being connected in some way, a few years ago, someone passed me on Campo Lungo and greeted me in a way that you would only be greeted by a friend. But then he just continued riding up the hill. So I thought, that was strange. Who was this guy? So I caught up to him and said, hey, did I do something to you since you greeted me in such a friendly way, but you didn't want to stay next to me? And I found out it was Andrea Beton a commentator for Eurosport, and he's the one who commentated on all the victories of my career. A friend, a great cycling enthusiast. Sorry, Pablo, but I cannot slow down. I'm committed because I want to finish the long route in under six hours. And at that point, it spontaneously came to me to tell him, well, today I'll be your Gregario. I'll ride at a moderate pace and stick with you. So I rode with him and took him all the way to Jao. Unfortunately, I didn't have the kilometers to do the long route. In fact, I started cramping on Jao and I was getting hungry. Andrea went on, followed his path, and he was almost sorry, you know, because when I was climbing Jao at the third bridge, I told him, go Andrea, go, because I'm done here. Now I have to manage myself. He was almost sorry to leave me alone, but then he understood. And for me, it was a torment there. It was really tough to climb the Jao. It was extremely difficult to read the Valparola and fighting against the strong headwind and working my way back to Covara. Unfortunately, Andrea didn't achieve his goal because he finished in six hours and four minutes over. That's what Martona is. He had a challenge with himself. He was running against something that was a benchmark, a limit 
a personal record, and he had set it all at six hours, and that was his race. It wasn't about winning the maratona; it was a personal achievement. The asfalti sono buoni, le discese sono bellissime. The road surface is good. The descents are beautiful. I use a 28 millimeter tire, which makes a huge difference when it comes to comfort and grip when descending. Regarding the gears, it's easier nowadays with compact gearing because in the past we had to build the gear range and change the gear cassette depending on the profile of the course or where we're going to ride. Today with compact gearing, nothing can go wrong. It depends on a person's attitude and how many kilometers they have in the legs. Personally, I'll ride with a 34-30 gear ratio tomorrow. Our last guest is the guy who founded his cycling. Let's welcome Richard Pestis. Hey, Richard. First of all, I'd like to thank you for taking the time to join us uh, here on the podcast after your first Maratona de Lomitas experience up here in the Italian Dolomites. Richard, why don't you just present yourself first? Sure. Well, my name, if you don't know me, is Richard Pestis. I have been publishing PezCyclingNews.com for 21 years. You might have you might have been one of the the fifty seven people that tuned into my live broadcast yesterday on Instagram from the Maratona. I got this idea and like just on the first line that I might as well see if I get an internet connection up here on my phone and I just go live every twenty minutes or so. Kind of cool. It's kind of cool. Yeah. How was it? I mean, your first experience up in Alta Badia or riding the Maratona? I you know what? So I've been to the area a few times over the years, covering stages of the Giro d'Italia, just doing some rides myself. I have not done the Maratona. So I know Steve Smith from your office has been telling me you've got to come to this race. He's been talking about this for years. Yeah. And last year, some buddies of mine from Vancouver came over and did it. And they were talking about how great this thing is. And so this year I had the opportunity to be here and, and do the race. I was like, you know what? I got to do this. So the, the interesting thing is I was just here in Italy two weeks ago riding the Gran Fondo Works in Verona. I went back to Vancouver, you know, it's a 10-hour flight, a massive travel day, was home for about 12 days, just got over my jet lag, got back on a plane, came back over for for this ride, and it's only like about a, a six-day trip for me to get turned around. I'm going back home tomorrow, but I wanted to fit this thing in, so I was a little intimidated by the fact that it was going to be, I mean, it's such a big, there's so much climbing, 4,000 meters on the 138-kilometer route, and I, I haven't done that much climbing ever in one ride, but I thought, no, oh, what? You know, if you're out there long enough, you can probably get it done. I discovered that when I come over to Italy, my second or third day is usually my worst day of jet lag. And so we did a ride on Saturday before the event and it was raining. And I got to tell you, I felt completely blocked and it was just, I felt so bad. And I'm actually in pretty decent shape now. And so I was getting a little nervous about how much of Maratona I would do. So I kind of dialed my expectations back and I decided, you know what, I'm just going to ride within myself. I'm going to stop at every stop, keep eating. I'm going to have fun. Going to talk to people and and just enjoy the experience, which is exactly exactly what I did. Awesome differences between Saturday and Sunday of the race days was Saturday was raining and it was chilly. Uh, I don't know how you felt those about you know descending those mountains uh, in the wet, but you know behind the Podor and some other mountains passes, it was still pretty humid and you know wet roads. So you know what we got, we were coming uh, down the Falsarego, kind of the opposite direction of the race went up and it was raining hard on us but the road was okay the road wasn't wasn't that wet but it was really it was raining hard enough that we got soaked so you know the rain was splashing through my helmet and I was you know doing that but you know we anyways we woke up Sunday morning we could see blue sky and what an amazing day it was the perfect temperature the roads were dry the sun was out and you know for me I had an interesting experience because I you know we started at 6 a.m. or 6 30 it was freezing it was a hard for me to get over those two climbs. I got into the valley behind the Pordoi and it was so cold down there because it's so deep and so dark. And I was like, oh my God. I some For some reason, climbing out of the Pordoi up to whatever the next climb was, I started to feel a little bit better. I just, you know, the lamp came out. I started running. And, and then every climb after that, I felt a little bit better. In fact, the last climb of the day coming over the Falserego, up over that thing, 11 kilometers, I actually felt pretty good, which, yeah, complete difference from the start of the day. So I guess the moral of the story is it's, you know, you're out there long enough and you can go through those peaks and valleys. You never know how the day is going to turn out. But if you're feeling shitty at one point, you keep going because you might end up feeling pretty good later on. 
Yeah, no, completely. I mean, a lot of people, they usually struggle on that last climb, especially after been doing the penultimate climb, the Paso Jao. You know, a lot of people complain about the Falsarigo coming off from Picol, Cortina. But, you know, it's not really steep or anything. It's just long. Like, I think it's averaging about 5% or something over, what's that, 11 kilometers? Yeah. 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 That was a nice grade. You know what? It actually, I was I was pretty happy with that. So I was like, okay, this this feels pretty good. And the funny thing is at the top of Alcerego, I was having a, you know, eating a panino waiting at the RRS station. And Steve Smith pulls in. So we actually got to ride together for a little bit. You know, he dropped me right away. So I basically never saw him after that. But we had a snack and had a chat. It was pretty fun. What do you think about that grueling ramp? Just a few kilometers before the finish, the Mutel Jat. Unnecessary is what I think about that. I I was I thought I was you know it's like twenty percent or something. I thought I was going to have to get off and stop because I was in I was right at the limit. I was in a lot of pain. You know what? I'm going to see if I can dig myself into a very deep hole here, and I did. I got over the top of the thing, but I was in a bit of a state. You know, my heart rate was way out of control, and I was gasping for air and all that stuff. But but I did it. I don't think I I think I would be happy without that piece of there. How did you dress there on Sunday? You know, I'm one of these guys, I would rather be too hot than too cold. And so I put on wool socks. I had some rain booties on. Let me see. I had a base layer, a jersey, arm warmers, and a vest. And then I had my Castelli Hydro jacket rolled up in my back, which I carried with me all the time, the whole time. And then I actually had a, 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 my strategy was I did the first, you know, the course was a figure eight. So you do like 55 kilometers, you come back to Corvara, and then you head off and do the rest of it. So when I finished that first 55, I decided I needed to, I was, by now it was warm and I had a little too much clothing on. So I basically took 15 minutes, went to my hotel, changed my base layer, changed my socks, put on dry socks, got rid of a bunch of stuff. And then I went back and then I did the second half of the ride and it was far. Yeah. The percentage of people actually racing for top 10 or top 20 placement is really more compared to other Grand Fondos where here it's more about being together soaking in the sceneries meeting people from all over the world I think we had 73 uh, nationalities participating at the Maratona yesterday so yes you know I, I had a strategy I was getting a bit first of all those climbs are pretty hard so nobody's really talking on the climbs so after about you know by the time I got to the Falsarego I was a little bit bored of not talking to anybody so I basically looked at people's name tags and the beauty is you know everyone on their on the on the number plate you have your name is on there so when you ride up behind somebody you can see what their name is and their flag tells you you know gave me an idea of whether they spoke english or not so basically i was coming up behind people and i'd say hi to them and i'd call them out by name and then i'd start talking to them if i figured they'd speak english so basically the whole way up the climb i must have talked to five or six different people and and it really just broke up the monotony of the climb and it was really interesting to talk to people from you know brazil and holland and you know the states and just all over the place right it was really just made the whole event a lot more inter- entertaining and interesting uh, did you see any other canadians yeah i actually i actually did there was first of all there was um an oncoming influencer in Anne riesling who was from vancouver who is a pinarello ambassador so she was there i saw her at the start and i know her from vancouver but i also ran into a guy i think his name was alex on top of like the the gardena i think it was up in the garden and he had a big jersey with a canadian maple leaf on it so i said hey and in fact, I interviewed him on my on my live feed on Instagram. So we chatted for like a minute. <laughs> Hello, it's Hello. pretty funny. You basically rode over seven of some of the most iconic mountain passes in the Dolomites. Which one of the climbs was your favorite or the location or the scenery? You know, I like the climb out of Araba was looking back down the valley. I got to the, up to the top. I looked back down the valley and you could see the road snaking all the way down. Cordoli. Yeah. And on that road, there was nothing but cyclists. Like it was just one, I don't know, it was like 11 kilometers of cyclists just coming up the mountain. And I w- and the sun was kind of coming over the mountains and it was lighting it up. And I thought it was a pretty, pretty cool, pretty sort of almost spiritual moment. And then, of course, my favorite descent, I, I like the descent back in, off of the Gardena down into Insulfara, but that descent off down the Valparo was really that was a sweet sweet icing on the cake i think <laughs> so how long were you out for well i saw my stats today my full time was like seven hours and 10 minutes and i got yeah. to the cutoff point at the for the long ride 15 minutes after they closed it so i didn't have to worry about talking myself out of it there was no danger of that happening and i i finished like my overall place was like 1,328 or something. I don't know. It was some massive number like that. It was pretty funny, but, but it was great. You know, I, I was, I, I really didn't need the timing chip because I was taking so long doing stuff that 
Yeah, no, but that's that's where you should take also the mods. I want to just like I said, the social aspects and and soaking in the sceneries and the moment and everything is different. You know, you crossed four different valleys. You probably also noticed that along the road they had the folk music bands playing. Oh, yeah. They had you know all the great cakes that they're having. They're serving in the feed zones from strudel to linzer torte to yeah. No, it's fantastic. You know what? I, I think it's this. I'm kind of hooked now. I, I feel like this is a bucket list ride, and I don't. And it's, it's hard for guys, for people from North America, to come all the way over here. It's a big ask. It's a big trip. I'm sure it costs a lot of money, but for sure, once if you can get on it and do this thing once in a lifetime, it was it was a really cool experience. Like just so many riders, and I noticed like there were poor riders. Like all the riders were pretty top caliber, and you got to be a good rider to complete those distances and do those climbs. You know, it was it was pretty fun to be in a in a Grand Fondo with with cyclists that, for the most part, were pretty good riders. You enjoyed the experience. I really enjoyed seeing you know some of my old friends. It was great running into you again. You know, it's like we see each other about once every two or three years. But it's like, hi. <laughs> it was a big surprise for me as well. I mean, I loved it. It's uh, it's especially after the whole COVID thing because before we would run into each other at the bike events, and Ooh. since a lot of that stopped and at least got reduced, uh, there was it was a big surprise, a very positive and nice surprise to see you there. That's what, and that's and that's the thing. It's a lot of people also look at the marathon as one big family reunion, or not only bike industry, but just cycling fans. Every one of us just sharing the same passion for the sport and going up there riding bikes. Not always you get the slot because you know there are almost thirty thousand people signing up every year, and only eight thousand get picked. But a lot of people, they maybe if their friend were lucky enough to get a slot, you know. You know, you join him or her, to, and you go up there and you just ride the bikes a few days before, after so, and just spend a good time. So it's fantastic. Well, Richard, thank you so much for yeah taking the time to jump here on on the pod uh, and sharing your thoughts and first maratona experience with us. Soren, thank you for having me. It was obviously a pleasure to be here. Pez fans can tune in. I'm going to be writing a full story on this thing. I've got some. I shot a lot of video, and I'm going to put something together up on our YouTube channel. So there's going to be more happening, more coverage from Pez as well. That's out there that uh, people can tune in and see what see. What what my full experience was like perfect yeah so remember that everyone going over to pez uh, both on youtube and uh, petcyclingnews.com and when it will go live then i will also drop a few urls uh, to your yesterday yes in the podcast notes so people awesome. easily can can find you great okay uh rich thank, thank you so soren. much and look forward to see you again soon all right take care soren ciao ciao and that's it for this week's episode thanks to everyone who joined the castilla show and a special thanks to all our guests who shared their Maratona, their Ledolomita stories and experiences. I'll drop all the important links in the podcast description for you to easily find all our guests, the giveaway submission form and the official website of the Maratona de Ledolomites. And stay tuned for the full interview with Paolo Bettini coming out next week. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to subscribe. Give us a five-star rating to help us be seen in the algorithms so it's easier for other cyclists to find us. And if you have a Castelli product-related question or topic you would like us to take up on a future episode, email us through the contact form on the Castelli website, DM us on Instagram, Facebook, or you can also submit your question through the Q&A on the Spotify app. Thanks again, everyone, and see you soon. <laughs>